So we were having a debate this week with um, our daughter, and and our son joined in, and then our son-in-law joined in, and it's it's a really interesting debate because it it was kind. Of, I found it really challenging because one of the the problems we have these days is I don't know what's true anymore. I don't know what's right. Um, I don't know what I can believe and can't believe from what I hear. And one of the the interesting things that came out of this, this talk, and you might have experienced this as well, is there's this pressure and um, almost, uh, I, I don't know, it, it's kind of a weight that comes that it's built in now in the way we think that we have to agree. We have to agree on everything. And everybody's got their own views, but, you know, you're, you're in the wrong if you don't agree with their view. And that's, that's really challenging. And it's kind of in our, our society, it's kind of got inbuilt that not only do you have to agree with everything and say everything's fine, but if you don't agree with everything and say everything's fine, people think you're mad, people think you're crazy, people think you're stupid. And more than that, they think you're extremist or you're, um, what's the word, bigoted, because you don't agree with their view. And that's a real challenge for us in these days, because it's not just a pressure to agree with everything and agree that good is bad and, and, and bad is good, but it's also a pressure to go along with things, because we don't want to stand out. And people don't want to stand out. They want to just... Uh, be like everything else. And I don't know about you, but that, that, I think that pressure comes on all of us. I think perhaps the older you get, the less you feel that pressure. But if you've got kids at school, they're definitely feeling that pressure. And it's a real, real challenge for us. It's a real challenge for us to say, actually, what does God say? Because that's why we're here, because we're believers. And I want to do and understand what God says. But more importantly, I want to believe what God says. <laughs> and I was reading something this week, and it, and it challenged me. Because it was talking about, it was just, uh, it was kind of a blog, and it was talking about who is the church for? And what's the purpose of the church? And it got on to this topic about there being two types of church in this time, and, and they're polarized types of church. There's grace churches where everything's fine, where we accept a lot of things that God's word doesn't accept. And then there's truth churches which have almost as many rules as the Pharisees have. And anybody who doesn't quite fit those rules is kind of rejected or put on the outside. And the challenge is that Jesus managed to navigate that same conundrum. Are we a grace church or are we a truth church? Because Jesus was neither. Jesus was full of grace and truth. So 
as, as believers and as a church, we need to be a people who welcome people with grace and then teach them truth. We can't expect people to come to our standard of truth if we haven't welcomed them with grace. So we don't compromise truth, but we need a culture of grace when we uh, face our one-to-ones with people. And so all of this makes us kind of stand out in this world. It makes us odd in this world if we go down that route because the, the, the pressure is to join, join some particular group, fight your corner and try and get everybody to agree with you. And if they don't agree with you, we'll get offended. And, it, and it's a really horrible thing that's got into our culture. But it's also an inevitable thing because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he comes to confuse people, and he comes to take from people. And the easiest way he can confuse us is, is what he's doing at the moment in our, in our society and, and in our church world. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'll put it on this title, Crazy or What? If, even then... Uh, one of the responses when I put this, this, this particular slide on Facebook was, you can't use that word. I was a bit puzzled which word I can't use. But apparently, you can't be crazy. You, you, can be, uh, you, you, you can't be insane either, because apparently, these are trigger points and offend some people. And I was kind of like really shocked. And I'd go like, what, what, sort of, what word can you use then? And there was a long list of words that somebody suggested, and none of them mean the same as that word. But having got that out of the way, I'm going to use that word. Why? Because I think we all understand what it means. And sometimes people will say so much, and we don't understand what they mean. So I'm going to try it in plain English, plain simple English, and to do that, I need to use that word. Because here's the point. If we are going to be a people of uncommon faith, then what we do and how we live our lives and what we believe and what we say and how we conduct ourselves towards others isn't going to look cool. And we've just got to accept that. Now, you've got to understand what I'm saying here. When I say it isn't going to look cool, I don't mean we have to look like the church did 30 years ago and do what the church did 30 years ago and not make the most of all the things that we have these days. What I mean is we will always find ourselves in a position if we are following Jesus where we step outside the norm and we risk offending somebody. But our purpose in risking offending somebody is to love more and reach more and care for people more. And sometimes you can't do that if you just, well, most of the time you can't do that if you're going along with the crowd. And when you don't look so cool in people's eyes, then you look crazy. You look like you're not normal. We, we've been over in Norfolk this week on a li- like kind of little mini retreat show, and I. And in the, in the shops in Norfolk, because we've been looking for, for Christmas presents, in the shops in Norfolk, they have like posters and they like have little square uh, 
placemats and stuff like that, and they have this logo on it, Normal for Norfolk. Like they revel in being different. Well, what's normal for Jesus followers? What's normal for, for, for us? And so we need to find our normal and wear it so that the world sees Jesus. And when we, put, when we trust God and, and we put him in the driver's seat, we'll find ourselves, and this is why it sounds crazy, it may, might even sound crazy to us, which may be why we, we struggle to live this way. But when you put Jesus in the, the driver's seat, you're going to have to believe him and trust him for some things you haven't seen yet. And, and if you're walking in faith and following Jesus, there will always be something you haven't seen yet that you're, you're, you're looking to and for. There will be things that he's answered in the past, but there'll always be something you haven't seen yet. So we have to live with that tension in our life. And I think Jesus knew that. I think Jesus knew it would be hard to walk like that. It would be hard to live in a way that we, we are different. It would be hard to live in a way that we, we, we stand out, that we are seen as crazy by, by other people. That, and, and I think Jesus knew it because... One of the, the thing that concerned him, apparently, he, when he was talking about the time of his return, wasn't whether he would come back and there would be churches. It wasn't whether he would find love. It wasn't whether he would find pastors and worship leaders and all that sort of stuff. It wouldn't, wasn't even whether he would find Christianity. The thing that bothered Jesus, and, and I think it's a real challenge for us, is Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on earth? Being a person who lives in faith is very different from being a churchgoer or somebody who calls themselves a Christian. Living in faith means taking God at his promises when you haven't seen yet what you want to see. And carrying on believing those promises and acting in line with them until you do see it. Or until you see something better. Because sometimes what we expect God for is much less than God can actually do. You see, what we have a tendency to do is expect God and trust God for the possible well, you don't need any faith for the possible. You just need application and a bit of talent. But for the impossible, you need God. And others won't understand as you trust God completely. Let me, let me give you an example of this from the Bible. I'm going, to, I'm going to look at three examples this morning. So the first one is Abraham. Okay, so we're trying to, in Hebrews, it holds up a number of people from the Old Testament and says these were great people of faith, some of whom kept believing God even though they hadn't seen what God had promised them. And Abraham was one of those people. Now, I, I don't know how much you, you know about Abraham, but when God said to Abraham that he was going to be blessed and all the nations would be blessed through him, and he was going to be the father of nations... I don't know about you, but if I'd been Abraham, I would have really struggled with that. I, I just want to imagine, you to imagine for a moment, 
somebody coming in at the back of the church this morning and they're in their 80s and they look tired. They've never had any kids. They're kind of walking a bit frail. They've got all the aches and pains that we have. And God turns up and says, you're going to have kids. Now, is that crazy or what? Like, we, 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 we don't, I, I don't know how you get your head around that one if you're Abraham. Because it, it's so uh, beyond what is possible that you, you think that's crazy. Now, Abraham, bizarrely, didn't think God was crazy. He trusted him. Sarah thought God was crazy. Sarah's laughing at Abraham, and she's laughing at God. In fact, she gets told off for laughing at God. Because she thinks it's just absolutely preposterous. So God comes along, and he, and he comes to Abraham, and he changes Abraham's name, because Abraham wasn't always called Abraham. He used to be called Abram. And God put the, the bit in the middle to change it to Abraham. He put part of his own name in the middle of Abraham's name. And so from then on, Abraham went around saying, Hi guys, I'm Abraham. The name Abraham means father of nations. So this 80-year-old guy who, who, who's, who's walking around goes around say, saying to everybody, introducing himself as, I'm, I'm going to be the father of nations. Pleased to meet you. I'm going to be the father of nations. Pleased to meet you. And that looks crazy, doesn't it? And yet that's what God had promised. And sometimes, whilst we're not quite there, you know, I don't think he's expecting that of us. I think that was a specific thing for Abraham. We struggle to believe for the impossible, which is not even as outrageous as that. And so God asks us to believe him and trust him more than what we can see. And to, to, to believe and see and talk about the things that are not yet until they are. And believe for that. Just like Abraham, I'm pleased to meet you. I'm the father of nations. I've got my free bus pass. I've got my rail card. I get cheap fares if I want to go on the rail. But I'm, the, I'm going to be the father of nations. Because I'm trusting my God. And Jesus is saying, guys, I might not be expecting you to walk like that, but I am expecting you to trust me. And my real, my real concern this is Jesus, is that people aren't going to be trusting me and believing in me and trusting me for my promises when I come back. And so we can't get there by being like everybody else. We can't get there by being cool like the world, well, what the world sees cool, agreeing with everything. I used to, in the early days of faith life, um, somebody pulled, uh, pulled me up on this. Well, I, w I was at a, a pastor's meeting and somebody was talking to another pastor and didn't know, hadn't, hadn't registered that I was there. And uh, they were saying, oh, you don't want to go to that faith, you don't want anything to do with those faith life guys. They're their faith people. This is one pastor to another, by the way. Yeah, that faith stuff. And I'm thinking like, well, would you rather I was an unbelief person? 
rather than a faith person. What, 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 what's your issue? But the, the real challenge for us is we're not meant to be unbelief people. We're meant to be faith people. We're not meant to be fail people. We're meant to be faith people. That's, that's who Jesus is asking us to be. He's asking us to trust him with our lives, with our energies, with our efforts, with our time, and with our dreams. So we become faith people. Here's, here's the thing. Trusting God will take you beyond ordinary. Now, who wants to be ordinary? Nobody wants to be ordinary. This, is, this requires an honest answer. Who finds themselves living in a way so they fit in? Some of the time, I do. Sometimes. We all live in a bit that we want to fit in. Believers don't fit in. We are, we are meant to attract people to the kingdom of God because we don't fit in. And they want what we've got. So when we worship him, we worship with everything we've got. We live life with peace and joy and confidence. We know that when we get a diagnosis or a result or, or we look at our bank statement, that that's not the final position because God's made different promises to us. So we go on following following him. We go on trusting, we go on giving, we go on loving, we go on caring. Here's the point. Anybody can live their life with no faith. It takes no effort whatsoever to live your life with no faith. So if you're on the no effort whatsoever end of the scale, this is for you. Live your life with no faith. Just get on with stuff. Don't do what God asks and see how it turns out. And then, when Jesus comes back and says, will I find faith on earth? How do we give an account of ourselves? Because according to Jesus, as the time of his coming approaches, more Christians and more people who call themselves believers will live with no faith. Just getting on with life and not following him and trusting him as fully as he needs us to. But you don't need to be one of those people. You don't, you don't need to live like that. You don't need to be a person who doesn't trust God because God will never, ever fail you. His promises he will always keep. He might not keep them to your time scale, but he will always keep his promises. That's the point of, of these guys in Hebrews chapter 11. Some of them waited a lifetime to see the promises. But God kept his promises. There's a famous English Christian um, lived in the early part of the last century uh, called Smith Wigglesworth. And uh, I was talking about Smith Wigglesworth last week, and I realized that not everybody has actually heard of him. So I thought, that's interesting. Um, because he's one of the 
the greatest um, English believers we have seen. And he, he started off in very humble beginnings. He was a plumber from Bradford. He had a really bad stammer. And he got, his life got touched by God and touched by the Holy Spirit. And he went from being that kind of, uh, you know, can't even string a few sentences together, humble plumber, to be somebody who traveled the world and saw miracles. And he, he, he's kind of famous for a lot of the things that he saw in his life. But one of the, you know, the, one of the ones that sticks in my mind is when he was, uh, he was already well-known and he was taken along to um, this house where somebody had died. And they said, go on then, pray, pray for the dead person. And so he, he, he got this, this dead body and he put it up against the wall and he said, in the name of Jesus, live. And the, the body just went. I mean, I, what, are we thinking crazy? But he picked the body up and put it back up to the wall and said, in the name of Jesus, live. And the body slid right down again. The third time he does it, he puts the body up against the wall. He says, in the name of Jesus, live. And, and this, this dead person coughs and comes back to life. And lived for, for many years afterwards. Now, Smith Wigglesworth said this, and I'll put the quote up on the screen. He said, God has privileged us in Christ to live above the ordinary human plane of life. Those who want to be ordinary and live in a lower plane can do so. But as for me, I will not. And that, that's, that's the challenge that not only Smith Wigglesworth, but Jesus gives to us all. We can live ordinary, or we can live trusting and putting our faith in God. We can live ordinary and fit in and go with the flow and struggle along, or we can trust God. Let's pick up on somebody else. Second one from this um, Well, let me just say this firstly. I'll, I'll do another little survey. Who wants to please God? Okay? That's good. That shows me your theology is good. Because some people that go, I've asked some people that question, and they say, I'm always pleasing to God. He's always pleased with me. No. God unconditionally loves you but he's not always pleased or pleased by you because we have a relationship with him. So it's like me with my kids. I unconditionally love my kids, but I can tell you there's times, particularly in their teens, when I was definitely not pleased with them and they weren't pleasing me. But they grew out of that. And so when we say, do we want to please God, then we need to take note of what God says pleases him. And he says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. So everybody who put their hand up, you've just said, I'm committing to living and walking in faith in this crazy way that Mark's talking about. Because I want to please God. And that's how I'm going to please him. I'm going to trust him despite what I see, despite what I hear, despite what other people say, despite what circumstances say, and despite what some people in the church might say. 
but I'm going to trust God. You see, another thing that Smith Wigglesworth said is, he says, I don't believe what I see. I don't believe what I hear. I don't believe what I feel. I believe what God's word says. And that's hard to do. But it's something we need to do. <laughs> now, here's, let, let, me, let me put somebody else from this hall of fame, Noah. Okay, so you live in a world that probably has never seen rain. And God comes along and he says, I'm going to wipe everything out in a flood, so I need you to build me a boat. And here's how you're going to build this boat. And when you build this boat, I want you to take all the animals in, shut yourself up in it, and I'll look after you and the family. Now, Noah's the only person on the entire planet who is building boats. And it's not a little project. It takes years for him to build his boat. You know, I, I, I grew up near, near the Barrow shipyards where it took him like 10 years to build aircraft carriers. I don't know how long it takes one man and his family to build a big boat that's enough to take all these animals. But it would have taken him a while. And all this time, people are laughing at him. Day in, day out, people laughing at him. Saying, what, what are you doing? This, this isn't going to happen. And they just carried on living their lives and, and getting on with their lives and so on. And they didn't read the signs of the times. And, and right now, we're in danger of the church not reading the signs of the times. And so Noah's building his boat and there's people laughing at him. But when the rains came and the floods came up and the, the heavens came down, and there was this inundation. They weren't laughing anymore. And when Jesus comes back, the people who laugh at us and think we're odd won't be laughing anymore. But, but there is this pressure to live like everybody else, but we can't live like everybody else. Now, here's, here's something that, that can challenge us, that trusting God doesn't always produce instant results. Now, we like it, and I like it, when we do prayer line and people get healed and set free and delivered or whatever. And, and I like it, but it's far uh, too uncommon. And, and one of the things is, it's always easier to do something like that at a conference or a meeting than it is with your own church week on week. Because you exhaust the pool. And you end up paying for the same people every week and it becomes more and more difficult. Um, but in reality, most of the things we see in our life aren't instant. So whilst I always want to be a person who be believes for instant healing and will always believe without doubt for instant deliverance, most of the other things I ask God for are going to take time. And they're going to take time because he needs to work on me and he needs to work on our hearts, but he also needs to work on other heart, people's hearts and move things around and change the course of all sorts of things to get you to the end point where your prayer gets answered. And that can take 
a week. It can take a month. It can take five months. It can take five years. But God's working on it. Now, the problem comes for us who want to be faith people is that we dig our faith up in the middle of that and say it's not working. It's not going to happen. I don't understand why God's not doing it. I don't understand why not God's not done this. Well, here's what we do. We go back to God and we say, give me your wisdom. Tell, show me what's happening. Show me what I've got to do next. If there's anything that I haven't done that I need to do. And, it, and if, if there isn't, then you wait. Because faith and patience get the end result. <coughs> There's this guy, he's called Joshua. Heard, heard of Joshua? Yeah? He's, a, he's, one, of the, he's one of the cool guys. I, I love the first few chapters of, of the book of Joshua. Because it has so much in there about faithfulness and, and being single-minded to, to trust God. But I think he must have struggled with what God asked him to do. You see, Moses probably wouldn't have struggled with some of the things that God asked Joshua to do. But Joshua was a different person. Joshua was trained military. Joshua was a man who knew how to make war. He knew how to command soldiers. He knew how to strategize. He, he knew how to plan. And so God comes along to him and he says, see that place, that Jericho? Here's what we're going to do, Joshua. Joshua thinks, I've got a plan. I know what to do. Chuck them great big stones at the walls, knock the walls down, fight, siege them, starve them out for, for a few months and, and watch them all die and then we'll go in and take it. That's, his, that's the strategy of a war man. And, and God says, here's what we're going to do, Joshua. You're going to get all your guys, and instead of all their arms, they're going to have trumpets. So get making trumpets, because they're going to walk around the walls seven times and give a big shout, and the walls are going to come down. So Joshua goes to tell his soldiers, this is what we're going to do. And they think he's mad. But Joshua trusts God and he follows God. This is what it says. See, I've given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. The seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass then when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout then the wall of the city will fall down flat. Is that crazy? Is that impossible? Even if you get the right frequency, the stones ain't coming down. We trust God for what's not possible. And, and when we do trust God, some of these things are going to seem crazy to our minds. But he, here's the point. God does not want you to have little faith. He's in the business of growing your faith, as I talked about last week. He doesn't, certainly doesn't want you to have no faith. He wants you to develop great faith. And he wants you to be brave in trusting him. And if you're going to develop more faith than where you are, then he's going to ask you to do th some things that are impossible to you. 
And he's going to ask you to trust him for some things you haven't seen. And he's going to ask you to believe some things that are contrary to what people are saying. And contrary to your circumstances right at the moment. But it takes no faith to do what you're able to do by your own abilities. But like I said before, who wants to live with no faith? It's easy. Don't do anything. You can live with no faith. As you trust God more and more, you're going to find that your mind gets more and more stretched and your thinking changes. You know, I, I'm sure we all know about how we, we're supposed to renew our thinking. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to prove so that everybody sees what is the good and perfect will of God. So we need a mind transformation. And that, that's not, we, we need to take it a bit further than we have. Not just knowing that we're supposed to renew our mind and, and reading the word, but believing the word and living it for sustained periods. And the enemy, he's going to bring doubt. He's going to challenge you. What, one of the things that I found that the enemy does is he uses this thing called the pile-up technique. And if you've been around faith life for any length of time, you'll have seen this happen consistently. That when we, when we make headway, when we see people healed, when the Spirit's moving, stuff starts going wrong. Challenges come. People fire off like, like you, you wouldn't expect. Things go wrong in your own lives, in your personal life. And, and every time you get going with God, something comes along and rocks you. And then another thing will come. And just as you think you're getting through that thing, another thing will come. And that's the enemy. You can recognize it. It's called his pile-up technique. He just piles one thing up on another until you give up. And you, you revert to the no-faith person. Now, that's an easy route. And I acknowledge that's an easy route. And in these days when we're kind of a bit tired and a bit busy and lots going on, it seems an attractive route. But we need to wise up that that's the route that the enemy wants us to take so he can steal, kill, and destroy even further in our lives. The only route that God gives us is to go through and come out the other side and win the victory. And so we, we resist that. We recognize what's happening. Just like Joyce did this morning, we take a stand against what the enemy's trying to do. We take a stand against what's happening in the spiritual realm. And if we'll do that, we'll get the same promise as Joshua did. What was Joshua's promise? Well, I guess he had the promise in that particular instance that the walls would come down. But there was other battles he was asked to fight and different methods he was asked to win them by. That was just for that thing. But Joshua got this promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. When Joshua was God. I'm not up to part in the Red Sea. I'm not that sort of guy. God said to him, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. And for us, as New Testament believers, we are grafted into those same covenants. 
We are grafted in to the covenant that God had with Abraham. We're grafted into the covenant that God had with Moses. We're grafted into the covenant that he had with David. And so that promise is for us too. As he was with Moses, so I will be with you. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Nicola. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Esther. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Bob. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Twinkle. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Paul. As he was with Moses, so I will be with Lynn. As he was with Moses, so I'll be with Christina. We need to believe that, that God is with us. And if God is with us, who can be against us? Let's stand. Because just like those guys walked around the wall seven times and shouted, we need to make some declarations. So I want you to do these in honor of Joshua as loud as you can. How does that sound? So just follow me. Father, I thank you. You made me to be a faith person. So I'm a faith person, not a fail person. I choose to trust you. I am who you say I am. I can have what you say I can have. I'm choosing not to believe what I see. What I feel. What I hear. But to believe your word. Father, make me someone of uncommon faith. Who follows Jesus. Who trusts Jesus. Who gives their all for Jesus. And I ask you to set me on fire by your spirit, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. In my life, stir up that which is dulled down. And I give you praise, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Yeah, thank you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, I really believe we are at a crucial moment in all of our faith walks. And I believe we need to be stir, stir ourselves up, just like Paul told Timothy, stir up that which is within you. Because if we don't, we're going to live ordinary lives. And that's not what Jesus wants from us. So just like I'm doing, we need to face up and go like, God, what needs to change in me? What, what needs to change in, in the, not just in the way I do and the, the time I spend with you, but what, what needs to change in, in the way I, I approach all the things you ask me to do? What needs to change? And then we, we trust him and we keep going. So Lord, I just rebuke Every lie of the enemy 
that he's whispering right now. And I ask your spirit to move in every single one of our lives. I give you permission, Lord, to move in my life. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Be blessed, faith life.